Well, welcome to another edition of Rolling the Bones Around the Cage. We say, Val. Hey, Chris. What's up? What's going on? Anything going on? Oh, broadcasting from Northern Kentucky. Got my sweet tea. Hello, Crazy Witch, Standing Stones, Chris. My family just got back from Kentucky this week. All right. They were down there. Catherine. Some, yeah, throwing some change around in Kentucky for you guys. Oh, Gary Spikes, welcome. Hello, everybody. Oh, gambling. Were they? Were they at the racetrack or just no? Uh, the no, machine? just just yeah, just camping. Uh, they went to the Ark. Uh, went down to the mine, the bucket mine, and, and things like that. Just seeing some sights and stuff. Interesting. Having a good time. A good time. So, what's going on with you? Uh, working on my uh, camper. Getting that ready, changing the lights out, doing all the manly things with that that thing. I mean, you're I'm not a camper. A, you're gonna put a bunch of fun lights on it. Well, you know what I did, uh, Grizz. I changed out, swapped out the old lights. This is a 2009. I got a pretty good deal on it. 2009, 19 and a half foot um, Flagstaff Shamrock, and um, I'm cha swapping out the lights. I'm putting LEDs on them, taking right, out the, right. the old bulbs and stuff. I mean, I don't know. Maybe fix it up and sell it and, and get something a little more um, camper ready. Let's, let's put it that way. You know, just doing stuff like that, piddling around. Welcome, Roger, and everybody to the show. Likes to have everybody and Rebecca. What do you mean? You just got it. I yeah, thought we, we just going to go Bigfootering. We, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. Maybe stick around in the bush a little bit, you know. And, uh, you know, I kind of felt bad because my friend has a 34-foot camper. I mean, this looks like a, like a condominium on wheels. Flat screen TV, pull-out uh, sides, master bedroom suite, uh, full kitchen. Val, he says, this is pretty raggedy. Oh. Made me feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> made wow. me feel bad but i said brother i says don't you remember the first camper you ever bought oh yeah he says i fell out of the uh, sleeper portion you know the pullout all right I, I fell right through it i was naked out there in the campground in the middle of a storm that's the first one i bought Same. so i says you you step up from there you learn and you progress and you just keep moving now you got a beautiful camper wow so anyways that's the way it is and your video went out. I don't know what it is with you and me and your video. So who we got lined up today? We have Miss um, Kathy Strain uh, coming in. She's an author. Uh, I I know her from my Bigfoot forum days, and um, uh, she'll be an interesting um, interview. She wrote a book about monsters, cannibals, and Indian lore. Ooh, She'll wow. tell you about it when she comes on. All right, let's go ahead and bring her on. Kathy, welcome to the show. Come on down. Hi, thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. Tell us all about yourself. <clears throat> um, I live in California, and I am a, a forest archaeologist with the United States Forest Service in Sonora, California. Um, I have a bachelor's and a master's in anthropology and um, been, been doing archaeology for professionally for over 35 years. Um, 
and then uh, been interested in Bigfoot since I was a little girl when I saw Legend of Bucky Creek and uh, decided that's what I wanted to do was to, you know, study Bigfoot for a living. And I asked my teacher how I could do that. And she said, well, you'll probably have to go into anthropology. And so um, that's what I did. And, you know, and I figured it out. Nobody was going to pay me to to um, study Bigfoot for a living. But, you know, it it's, was part of my DNA anyway. I was always right, an outdoors right. person. And um, we when we went on vacations, we went to national parks and forests. We didn't go to like Disneyland or any of that stuff. So it was pretty natural. So, and I've been married to my husband, Bob, for nearly 20 years, and he's into Bigfoot too. And we got two kids and only one of them is interested in Bigfoot. The other one's like mixed faces. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. So, Kathy, the, um, the title of your book, by the way, it's got a great cover on it. Giants, Cannibals, and Monsters. And you and I were talking off off air, and this is the second edition of this book. The first edition sold out. Yes, that's correct. And it's a collection of traditional stories that Native Americans uh, throughout uh, the United States and Canada um, have about Bigfoot. So what their traditional belief systems are, mm -hmm. and I don't um, take away or enhance them. They're as recorded um, by anthropologists, in the 1900s, 1910s, you know, those kinds of dates that preceded um, modern day Bigfoot, uh, Jerry Crew in 1958, when Bigfoot mm -hmm. became a more common, um, not name, but more commonly known throughout the, the United States than he was previously, except mm -hmm. in localized areas where tribal members would tell um, people living in the town about this, you know, hairy monster that lived up in the, the woods and they, you know, they knew that natives talked about them, that it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a worldwide phenomena until 1958 and then 1967 with the Roger and Bob film. And really in a lot of ways for me, culturally, I think it was finding Bigfoot should get the credit for, um, really making it, um, more, part of our culture. I mean, you can't go, I can't go anywhere without seeing a Bigfoot sticker on somebody's mm -hmm. truck or something Bigfoot related, um, uh, you know, in a store, you know, not just the the jerky brand, but other stuff that's got, you know, mm -hmm. sodas that have Bigfoot on it and stuff. And I believe, you know, finding Bigfoot was kind of the, the catalyst for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand it's a multi-billion dollar industry today, mm -hmm. right now. Right now. Uh, some lady contacted me from the East Coast um, a year ago, and she um, was CEO of a, of a corporation that um, takes the algorithms of these different topics from the internet, and they and they put them together like a like a Matt Drudge site, and they do this for commercial purposes. And uh, we had a very, very nice discussion. To your book, um, you have you have in your book listed a number of uh, different Indian uh, tribes and stuff, and and how they look at or how they perceived uh, Bigfoot, Sasquatches. And and I noticed in your book, it it kind of uh, separated uh, giants. At least the way I interpret it, 
it separates giants from Bigfoots. Is there in your in your research? Did you find any delineation between the two? No, the giants are Bigfoot, mm-hmm. and so that is a breakdown of why I came up with that title was how different tribes viewed their relationship with Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. So, like uh, the the cover of the book are the hairy man pictographs or painted mm-hmm. rock, which are. Um, uh, uh, a depiction of hairy man, hairy woman, and hairy baby that is on the Thule River Indian Reservation. And it is um, uh, form a, an important part of that tribe's belief systems. And so they have a creation story that basically hairy man, Bigfoot, created them, helped create them with other animals. And mm-hmm. so the, the delineation is that there are tribes that, who believe them to be giants, brothers, but mm-hmm. giants. Then you have tribes that don't have a good relationship with Bigfoot because he steals their children or steals their women for marriage partners. And those are the cannibals because they, they, they eat the children. And then you have something worse. That's the monsters. Those are the ones that you, that you don't want to have anything to do with. And the tribes just typically ended up killing them and getting rid of them because they were such um, such a monster that they they were harmful to the tribe, and so that's that's how come that title's like that. It's based on the relationship the tribe had with the Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting that you say that. In the Great Lakes, I'm from Michigan, as you as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Great Lakes, there were three tribes, three primary tribes at the time. They were Ojibwa. Um, Ottawa and a Potawatomi mm-hmm. that um, <clears throat> for reasons they claim were to fight and annihilate uh, the prairie people. Have you ever come across the term prairie people before? No, that's not a term I've heard before. Yeah, the, uh, the uh, prairie people uh, were supposed to be very, very big. And uh, one Indian, the Indian chief from Ottawa said that they were so numerous in the Great Lakes area. And I'm talking about Michigan, Minnesota, Mm -hmm. Wisconsin, that they were more populous than the leaves on a tree. And this this has to go back to the 1700s. And um, uh, all across all across the Great Lakes, including Ohio, there were the Indian mountains. And uh, these were some very, very big people, evidenced by the the massive stature of these skeletons and stuff. But also uh, combined with that was the iron uh, that came from Michigan, up north Michigan. Um, so the prairie people, so they they set out to destroy and annihilate the prairie people because they were they were described almost to the T the way you described the cannibals and the monsters. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that's one thing that's always tweaked my interest with your book there. Uh, was, there's was there's a lot of tribes that believe that, that, um, that he, human children were a food source. Mm-hmm. And so it was uh, uh, often, I mean, across the entire United States, you can find them in the Pacific Northwest. You can find them mm-hmm. in Texas. You can find those stories in Florida. And so it's a very widespread um, belief system. And so, and then, but not all of them. Some some Bigfoot were really 
useful. They were friends of the tribe and, you know, they would even, they were well known to be hunters and they would bring the tribe deer meat in exchange for something that they needed from the tribe. And so it's just, it's, it's, I like to see what, what did the tribe think about the Bigfoot and what can you tell me about a Bigfoot behavior that maybe we don't associate with Bigfoot or we do associate Bigfoot with Bigfoot like tree knocking. And then, you know, what does that mean? If I hear a tree knock in the woods, what do tribes say that that means? You know, like whistling in particular is a very bad thing to hear at night um, in the forest. And you don't want to fall for it because it's a Bigfoot trying to lure you outside so that you can be kidnapped, essentially. And so, and I've heard that from um, a lot of different tribes. Just don't go outside if you hear that whistle at night. Don't fall for it, you know, because mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're going to get kidnapped if you do. So, so is that, is that frequent, frequently, um, um passed along presently i mean do they do people largely still feel that yes yeah yes i i was uh, because part of my job is i work with tribes mm -hmm. um on a regular basis mostly just my local tribes but when we have fires and stuff and i work on those and i work with those tribes but um uh i don't even remember now maybe 15 years ago, I was out at the reservation at night. We were doing some some work on a project and they were having problems uh, with a Bigfoot on the reservation. And so they escorted me to my car, got me in and they said, no matter what you do, don't stop until you get to the main road. And if something happens and you break down or whatever, I mean, it's not that long of a drive. I mean, it's not even a mile, I don't think. Mm -hmm. They said, you know, stay in your car and don't leave your car if you hear a whistle just stay in your car we'll, we'll find you eventually and i always thought well what do you mean and they said well if it's a bigfoot trying to lure you out so out of your safety zone so that he can get you and i was like okay and then of course luckily i made it out just fine and stuff but it, that was 15 years ago that i was told that so it's still um a common belief um uh to to tribal people of course not a lot of the young folks, I think, don't necessarily um, believe that. I don't really know. I tend to only talk to elders when I talk to tribal members because I want the the older knowledge, the mm -hmm. traditional knowledge. Um, but that I, I know just recently I talked to a young tribal member and he, he just went, oh, poo, that's just what my elders believe. And so it's different for every generation, you know, just like, you know, your grandchildren and don't ever quite believe, you know, like hard work will get you, you know, a good life. And they're like, nah, I think playing this Game Boy for 10 hours a day is what, what mm -hmm. will get me to where I need to go. Yeah, I see a lot of a lot of striking parallels between uh, what the elders say and what uh, we see now presently in, mm -hmm. in some of these reports. And what I do is since since I was a member of the Bigfoot forums, um, Kathy, what I do is is I I read and analyze hundreds of thousands of reports, and I put them together and break them down into data sets and data points. <clears throat> and I look at these reports, and I I sort of took issue with something that somebody said. Um, I quoted was quoted as saying as far as. Uh, Bigfoots and and uh, they're not dangerous and you know blah 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 blah. 
you know, having the opportunity uh, from my vantage point, looking at these reports, that's that's a fallacy. That's mm-hmm. a, that's that's not true. That's not correct, and it's not true. And and what really burns me about that is is that that is that is the the parroted uh, narrative that's been going on for decades, you know, in the Bigfoot uh, community and stuff. And and uh, it's not accurate. Uh, the best information, I think, the best information <clears throat> that we know about Bigfoots comes from the the wise men, you know, the, the Native Americans. Are you kidding me? There was no newspapers at one time, no televisions, no internets. This is where the knowledge came from. You know, thank God that, that these people had the wherewithal and the and the sense to, to pass this along, this information along, really seriously. Well, it was, I mean, it's important that your children and your grandchildren survive. And so you, you're teaching them um, what's important in life. And that's, I kind of always slightly take offense when I hear, not slightly, I do take offense, when I hear people say, oh, you know, they're just making that stuff up. And it's just like, well, wait a minute, mm-hmm. this has been part of their culture for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. We have evidence of the history of the same story from hundreds of years ago. Why are they making it up? Well, because they talk about condor talking. Well, it's not literally condor talking. The, the condor is part of the story and conveying what mm-hmm. it is that, the, you know, makes it more of an interesting story. But um I always take advice from people who survived without electricity and without metal tools and all those comforts that we have. I mean, I think 99% of us wouldn't do so well alone in the woods and be able to find food on our own and, you know, navigate back to anything in particular. And so I don't, um, I don't, they're not making anything up. They're telling what they know. If you choose to believe it, then good. If you choose not to, that's fine. But there's no reason to make fun of it. Mm. No, yeah, I agree 100%. The, the mockery and the ridicule, I can't, uh, I can't deal with that. It's, it's, I, I can't tolerate it. Not mm-hmm. even, you know, on my group site, I can't tolerate that. Yeah, it's just not, um, it's just not mature. And it, and it really is in a lot of ways, you're putting book knowledge ahead of everything else when in the end, life skills, hunting skills, those are things we've lost. And we're going to be real sorry if we need them again, because Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, I've got, the, we hire temps every year to help us in the archaeology program. Mm-hmm. I don't know how some of these kids made it to adulthood, let alone mm-hmm. be able to do anything else in the society. And so it's just kind of like common sense is no longer common because I don't know what we did with it. But Now, for a long time, you've been involved with the Texas Ape Conservatory. Is yeah, that the, the uh, made me forget it now. <laughs> North American Wood Ape Conservancy. Yes, yes exactly. They used to be the Texas, uh, just Texas group. But they now they yeah. have a lot of members throughout the United States. Yes. yes, yes. And and I, you know, I always held that that particular group in high esteem. Yes. Because, you know, if if you knew <clears throat> if you knew the people that um, that commanded that group, you know, <clears throat> such as yourself, your husband Bob. Uh, in others, and, and if I remember correctly, some of the leaders of the of the aforementioned uh, Bigfoot Forum went into that group. Also, is that correct? Um, it's possible. Um, we do get members that are current. 
Bigfoot Forum members, yes. But mm -hmm. uh, most of our members are, um, we have biologists, wildlife biologists. Mm -hmm. We have several anthropologists now. Um, we have um, game wardens. We have, you know, lots of experts, tracking experts. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's a well-rounded group and, and very professional, very scientific. We don't, you know, we're not playing games. We the, When we do our field work, it's not for pleasure. It is strictly mm -hmm. business. And so no. it, it, I'm very proud to be associated with them. No, no uh, humor, no, no fake calls and oh, no. plan and stuff like that. That's it. I, I've had, we've already had issues where I won't say any names, but a gentleman who just totally fabricated something mm -hmm. and he was out of the group within half an hour. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just don't tolerate that stuff at all. And and if you don't act professional, you're not in the group because that's just the way it is. I mean, we just, we don't have time for, mm -hmm. for jokes and kids for, and stuff. For like nonsense. That. Nope. No, none, none whatsoever. So what is the most, what would you, there's a lot of stuff in your book. Uh, there's a lot of material. It covers a lot of different areas. Um, what, what is the most interesting uh, story or uh, uh, encounter that, that you happened upon that you would say uh, was, was so, uh, so uh, interesting that it left an indelible impression on you that you placed it in that book. Was there, is there anything that stands out in your mind, Kathy? Um, well, my favorite is of course the creation stories about the rock art. That's just a stunning story about, um, I, I really into um, when you have a geologic feature and the tribe has a Bigfoot story associated with that feature as well. Mm -hmm. And so you can put it together, you can visually see what they were talking about, what they're describing in the story, and then the Bigfoot's part of that. And in, in particular, like on my national forest, we have a, a, a cave that the tribe discusses as being Bigfoot's cave. And they knew it was, his name is Yayali. And they knew that it was because there were bones in the cave. And so he was eating the pupil and throwing them down uh, inside the cave. And um, it got so bad that they had to um, destroy him because he was just eating their people left and right. And so they ended up catching him on fire. And this is the story that they went to the top of the cave, set him on fire and he fell. And as he's falling, he says, which way do you want me to fall? And so he falls the direction he want, they want him to fall. And those are called Bigfoot's bones. And these are, it's marble um, type rocks that are sticking out of the ground. And so you can visually go see those bones and you can, I know where the cave is. And so, um, and even to this day, what, what I find fascinating, that cave, you have to repel into it. There's no way for you to get into it. No way for you to see the bones in there unless you um, repel. And they were correct. There are thousands, not thousands, but yeah, thousands of bones, but it's only a hundred individuals that are found in that cave when we excavated it back in, I think, 1960s, I, not me personally, but the Sacramento, University of Sacramento. And when we did the DNA and we did the um, age of it, the tribe kept telling me those are not us. That's not us. We don't want those. That's not our people because we wouldn't we wouldn't do that. And they were right that it was it was not them. It's some older group that was here. Maybe they got all eaten up. I don't know. But um, 
but to put that all together, the compelling story that and it's the compelling story that exists to go with that cave, with those rocks, mm -hmm. with the fact that there was actually Native Native American bones in the cave itself. I mean, that's not random. They didn't make no. that up and go happen, you know, modern day, the 1960s, they figured out that there were bones there and then they made this story and somehow got it published in a in an anthropology uh, book from 1885. I mean, you know, come on. That's the kind of stuff that drives me crazy. You know, what's just because you don't believe it makes no difference. And, mm -hmm. and tribes will tell you that we don't really care if you believe our stories are. Mm -hmm. They're not your stories anyway. Those stories mm -hmm. belong to us. So it doesn't make any difference to us what you think about it. And I think that's the best way to put all that, I guess. So the, the, those stories are for those people who are open to or willing to understand what Native knowledge is. And if you don't believe in Native knowledge, then just go your own way. Do yeah. your own thing. Yeah. Now, are you planning on writing a second book uh, along this line? Um, I do have, um, after I did... Um, I did, a, you know, just tons and tons of conferences and I was getting bored with my own presentation. I um, started looking into, um, for me, logically, if this is a real animal, he should have followed what, how humans followed, how they went over the Bering Land Bridge through North America and then spread out down into South America. So there should be um, evidence that Bigfoot existed in South America too, unless it's just too hot or, you know, all those little reasons that there were. So after I started looking into it, I found very similar stories. You have, uh, instead of um, um, wild man of the woods, it's wild man of the jungle. You know, they're very some mm -hmm. similar names and how they use that and some awesome, incredible stories. And one of them being as, as old as I think from the 1600s when, um, Spain had a priest down there and he recorded some of the stories, wrote them down as the tribe was telling them. Mm -hmm. And um, what's even more compelling is there are still tribes down there that haven't been contacted. Mm -hmm. And so what knowledge that they have would be just, you know, so incredibly interesting. But, you know, I don't, I, there is a language barrier for me. And so I'm having, I have a little trouble um, reading all the stuff but uh, but that would be the if i ever get around to doing um uh, another book that would be the subject would be down mm -hmm. south, south american stories so um again back to your book the petroglyphs that i see on the cover which, mm -hmm. which are fantastic pictographs yeah me. so have you ever had the opportunity to look at the uh burnt hills um uh in in fayette michigan delta no. county no now uh i i found it interesting that you, when you were describing uh that that cave um that they had to repel down to that cave to get inside where they found these these uh, skeletal remains <clears throat> so like in similarity to to that particular cave that you were speaking of, this particular uh, cave they call it Spider Cave. Of all names, they call it Spider Cave. Uh, it had pictogra pictographs on the walls that looked similar to the um, drawings that you have on your book, 
and they describe this as a spider band. But the interesting part of this is it also requires, uh, and now it's off limits. The state mm -hmm. and the federal government stepped in and says, you know, nobody's coming in here anymore. We're going to put a cage door on this and nobody's coming in. But at one time, I understand that the Great Lakes were much higher. The lakes were much higher than they are now. And um, inside those caves, that cave, that particular cave, they found sharps. They found arrow, old yeah. ancient arrowheads, um, spear tips, all kinds of this, this sort of artifact inside that, that cave. And uh, for that reason, the archaeologist uh, from University of Michigan stepped in there along with uh, state and federal oversight people and they put it off limits to the public uh, to keep people from from stealing mm -hmm. and, and uh, destroying the the pictographs and stuff in there but it is remarkable to me that we see similar images throughout history um, that that have a very close likeness to those pictographs we see it in a Momo monster. We see it in a Monroe monster in Michigan, 1965, that I'm talking about, in, in uh, the 1960s with the Momo monster uh, in um, Missouri. Um, and this is well before uh, the proliferation of computers and stuff and Internet, mm -hmm. as you know. So it's interesting to me that so many people from so many places across this great land um, had these same visual uh, images and, and uh, had the skill to draw them so that we could see them. Mm -hmm. And it's, Kathy, it's pretty tough. It's pretty hard to deny um, or call this or dismiss it as a myth, you know, as it's been done over the, over the decades and stuff. So uh, my question to you is, is it possible that there are so many other caves like this? You know, with the pictographs and the evidence, the the physical evidence still inside these caves. Isn't there a cave in California where uh, <clears throat> legend, ha or is it California or Oklahoma where where uh, the grizzly? What is that that place um, that that the large uh, uh, man-eating cannibals? Uh, oh, love that cave. Yeah. Yes. 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 That's in Nevada. Nevada. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, we haven't. Um, my national forest is several hundred thousand acres of forest land, and we haven't surveyed every inch of our forest. So, I mean, I know that there's plenty of this stuff um, out there that hasn't been discovered yet. I mean, you know, it's it's that's part of the fun, you know, knowing that there could be something. We haven't discovered yet or else you know I'd, I'd go ahead and just retire you know so it's it's there's plenty of stuff out there that and, and there's also plenty of stuff that we have found that we're misinterpreting you know in the end it would not surprise me if the smithsonian doesn't have some bigfoot bones in it because they got so much stuff i don't know how they've they've kept track of it you know and so it wouldn't surprise me if somewhere some museum, even a small museum somewhere in the United States doesn't already have some bones that are being misidentified as human. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's uh, 
uh, very likely that there's other stuff out there we just haven't come across it yet. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you approach this topic with with a great deal of of knowledge, and I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't hazard to call you an expert. I don't know that you would appreciate that. No. But but given your 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 knowledge, Kathy, you've been involved with Bigfoot forums. Um, the the old big uh, Texas Bigfoot group before it became the the primate uh, confer, uh, uh, con the North American Wooded yes yes NAWAC yes yes um, so what is your opinion of um, Bigfoots and and um, is it okay to call them Bigfoots in Sasquatch? I always just use Bigfoot. I don't put an S on the end of it. But what do I think of of them or the phenomena? Well, the the phenomenon. Um. Well, I I'm a witness myself, and so I know that they're real, and so um, and I certainly was astonished at their speed, and I used to make fun of that back in the day, and so I don't make fun of that stuff anymore. But I think um, I think we're making progress in the sense of proving that he's real. I mean, we have just new and technologies all the time. Just the other day, my husband brought up that they can collect. They're working on a study of collecting DNA from the air. So we already have yeah. environmental DNA, which is we get it from water, we can get it from uh, the soil. But this is a new study that identified animals by just collecting the air uh, in the environment, in the terrain that they were in. And they were very successful. Really? And so, yeah, I was just like, my whole face just went, you know, and I mean, the, you know, it's expensive. We still got to bring those um, prices down so that we can mm -hmm. do more of them. But the, the very fact that we could do that is a game changer in my mind. It's the most really? The yeah. same thing occurred in, in a very long time. And so um, the problem, of course, is always what do we compare it to? It's easy to say I've got tiger DNA, I got lion DNA, because we have examples of those to pick from. But what if their DNA is so similar to ours that unless you sequence it with a lot of DNA, maybe it'll just come up human? And so that's that's always that's the problem we always come back to is we don't have anything to base it on. We don't have a type specimen to do some research on to see what is the full spectrum of their DNA. Who are they related to? Did they branch off of chimps? Did they branch off of orangutans? Where where is that break? How long ago did that happen? Are you know are is he in the the Homo line somewhere? We don't know. And then until we get until we get that body, until we get that sample that is undoubtedly Bigfoot, some of these neat new technologies um, won't help us now, but they'll help us later when we when we figure out that they're real and we have that DNA, that environmental DNA captures will tell us exactly what their range is, tell us hopefully how many of them are in that range without ever having to contact them or you know be the Jane Goodall, because I don't know that a Jane Goodall approach is ever really going to work because, you know, they just, depending on the group, they just don't really care to be around us. And I don't really blame them either. So, but yeah, it's, um, we got a lot of work to do, but we've come an awful long way. 
Yeah, the idea that you can capture uh, uh, DNA from the air just just absolutely floors me because that technology in in and of itself uh, puts a whole different a different spin on on uh, law enforcement. And I oh, used yeah. to I used to spend a lot of time. Am I correct, Riz? I mean, yeah, well, yeah, that, that is uh, very that. very new. And I'm surprised I haven't read that in some form or law enforcement form. So, mm -hmm. uh, I think he, my husband said something about it. I think he posted it on his Facebook page, but I'll ask we, him. Because Charlestown just just uh, solved a case, a murder case and a rape case in Indiana off of uh, eDNA. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and, uh, and we think it was touch DNA that they used. Yeah, and, and that is true. I mean, oils on your fingers, you know, we leave our fingerprints on everything in just oils and there's DNA in our oils, DNA in our spit, there's DNA and everything. It's just capturing it and then having the ability to test it. And so, the as I recall, this was just one small lab that was experimenting with it, had great results, provable uh, results that they can replicate. But it always also comes down to cost. These things are not cheap. They come down a long, long, long way. When I was talking about oh, yeah. the DNA for the bones that were in the cave that, you know, I think I did that 20 years ago. I mean, it was, I had to get money, a grant to pay for just a couple of, of DNA samples. And mm -hmm. nowadays you can do a lot more, but they're still, you know, still expensive to the common person, you know, that mm -hmm. you would have a thousand bucks just because you think you got a big pile of, you know, Sasquatch dung or something to, to be able to test that. So, but you also don't have anything to compare it to. I used mitochondrial DNA to, to locate a um, missing person who was actually a homicide person, yeah. victim um, down in Houston, Texas. But um, mitochondrial, at the time this individual went missing, the DNA testing wasn't here in America. You know, it's it's relatively new in, in, in the grander schemes of things. And um, I don't think it came to the United States before 1994 yeah. or something close to that. Yeah. And he went missing in 1980. And so he had been miss already been missing, fell off the radar uh, 30, 31 years. And that was a that was a long shot. I did it. I was successful and um, I'm a believer in that. And 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 I got to tell you this, <clears throat> sorry to interrupt, Kathy. No, go ahead. I got to tell you this, when when they do autopsies, really my hat's off to these, these people, these professionals that do the autopsies because they know if the science isn't here now, next year or two years from now, the science may be there. So they take, a sample portion uh, of, of a victim, they, they, they catalog it, put it away, and who knows, two years, five years, 10 years, the science may be there, and they can do whatever they need with that, with that DNA sample. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to think about um, the usefulness of it solving cases. Like we had, I can't think of the name of them, highway killer or whatever. Uh, here in California, he was um, discovered because DNA from one of the cases matched uh, DNA on one of those sites um, 
you know, the different ones that they have uh, for DNA. And they, they went backwards and found him that way. My, my husband found a sister he didn't even know about because of that, that, you know, you guys have a potential match. You guys might be brother and sister, or this person might be your, your cousin. And it was a really funny that, um, uh, my son had his DNA and it, and it matched my mom's DNA and it had sent my mom an email that said, Hey, this, this person might be your grandson. And it was just really super funny because she laughed because it, he used a username she didn't recognize. And she goes, I have an extra grandchild. And she was really excited until I told her, no, that that's this grandson you already know about. But that's, <laughs> that's the cat it's amazing that the i mean those things are affordable they're like 50 mm -hmm. bucks to take that mm -hmm. test and they give mm -hmm. you the history and they're still updating stuff i mean you they change your you know the more they find out the more they change what percentage you are of those things mm -hmm. and just the fact that we have that already willingly given dna database is useful in in that sense and um i know we just come i mean i was talking to, to my husband about that, just how far we've come. When when I was growing up, we had one television, it weighed a ton, it took up your entire living room. You had the phone on the wall with the long cord so you could walk around while you talked on the phone. Um, and here we are, pocket computers that are in our hands and in my eight-year-old grandson's hand. And he can, if I do something wrong on my phone, I hand it to him and I say, fix it. And he fixes it like it's nothing. And so it's just, how far we've already come with technology, I can't imagine in 10 years where we'll be. And so, and I saw somebody had a question about the uh, DNA from the air. It would capture multiple uh, species in the air because we have multiple species walking around and breathing, exhaling um, in an environment, but the DNA is so good, they can tell each animal apart. There's no, um, just because spit, molecules hit, hits another spit molecule we can tell what those two animals are so that's fascinating yeah yeah that's really fascinating you know i came upon a, a report and i can't it's been a while i came across a report of a military soldier i'm not talking about a retired soldier i'm talking about an active military soldier who was actively and i suppose that he was directed to do, to do this or this was a, at least part of his study, uh, going out looking for stick structures and taking uh, eDNA, no. know, looking for DNA because uh, it's it was it was the anonymous writer who suggested that they know some of those stick structures are used to to uh, bear uh, bear children, you know, give birth. And so the chances of capturing um, DNA is very, very high in those um, in those stick structures. No, oh. well, they have DNA. What I mean, some of the stick structures I've seen are clearly just natural. They're not. Mm -hmm. They're not mm -hmm. constructed. But mm -hmm. I have seen ones that appear to be constructed, and mm -hmm. DNA that is in the soil or on that you could get off of things that they touch would definitely tell us. Mm -hmm. what we're what's going on and the birth of course but it leave lots of dna oh, yeah. as the yeah. placenta and everything mm -hmm. that goes with that and so i mean if they i have not heard that story mm -hmm. at all i can see why the military would be interested in knowing if they've got a bigfoot somewhere 
on their base or near their base or whatever they're doing. But um, um, that, that would be ideal. But again, you know, I don't know how much uh, a DNA test of that kind costs. I know we've, the Forest Service uses it because we have them, um, uh, can't remember if it's a frogger or a toad, but whatever. <laughs> we have animals, listed species that live in water and we can get samples down stream and know if there's any in that water. So water carries DNA, soil carries DNA, and it now appears that we can capture DNA that of, of basically people breathing or animals really? breathing in the forest. Wow. That's, that's just mind boggling to think yeah. about. It really is. So um, your understanding of Bigfoot, uh, Bigfoot's cannibals, monsters, what do you what do you think about the missing books that came out and proliferated the um uh, well i we've definitely heard stories of of well native americans would say you know bigfoot eats people i mean most of the mm -hmm. I, I haven't read all of his, all of his books of course um but native americans do have stories of bigfoot's keeping a lost child safe until it could be returned and i've heard modern stories of that as well but being um a forest service employee i also know that people are often not prepared to be in the outdoors you know they you it's stunning still how many people come up and they visit our lakes and and recreate our lakes but they don't know how to swim mm -hmm. so why are you in a lake if you don't know how to swim, you know? Mm -hmm. And we have people who come up that don't know that they're not supposed to leave um, an ice chest in their car because bears will rip their car open to get to the food that they can smell. I mean, the, the level of basic outdoor common sense um, is very lacking in a lot of people who live in a city. And so for me, it's not it's not plausible that all of these are Bigfoot related. Although if you ever really listen to him, he never actually comes out and says it's Bigfoot. He just talks mm -hmm. about they're missing and stuff. He hints at it, but he never actually says it is. But I also think that people um, get lost pretty darn easy in mm -hmm. the forest. You know, they can't mm -hmm. find, they go off and, oh yeah, I'll know how to get to my, my car, but they don't have a compass. They've never actually done anything like that before. And it's easy to get turned around in a forest, you know, to, you know, I, I, I surely I could just turn around and walk back. And so it's those kinds of things I think are more likely the most common reason people go missing is because nature got the best of them that, you know, we've had a lot of hikers missing on our forest and we end up always fighting Yosemite. Yosemite is the king of getting having missing people but we eventually find them and they're usually at the bottom of a falls or the bottom of a cliff the bottom of something that they thought they could do and weren't successful at it and so but you know not discounting that a very very small percentage might be um due to a predator of some sort is that a bigfoot is that a mountain lion is that a um, brown bear you know until you you find the bodies or bones or you know you'll we will actually never know so it's a lot of speculation to, to and you know interesting but it's just speculation well I, yeah i agree kathy um i've written about this before i've read at least four of those books 
and at least three of them I've, I must have read two and three and four times over again. One of the things uh, that I'm critical about is the author. I feel the author has a duty to, to, to take a position when he writes a book. And as you, as you said, leads people to believe uh, this, but doesn't say it. Mm -hmm. You have a duty. You have a duty to, to tell the reader that buys your product, what your position is, where do you stand in this? And uh, yeah. to me, he fails to do this. And uh, for that reason, uh, I vow that I'm not buying another book. If I want to read a book, I'll go to the library and, and look at it or something, <clears throat> but I won't buy yeah. another. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. Um, and it was real interesting because he, I, I think in one of the movies that he did the one movie, I guess I, it, it, he, uh, highlighted a, a case that's right here on my national forest that um, we've had three people go missing from the same parking lot up, up we call it Donnell Vista and broad daylight person's gone but their car's there and locked and then we never find them and so and I I one more chance you know come on tell us what you really think about this and I, we got nothing out of it and it's been um disappointing in that sense because there's rumors galore going around you know this county of what's really happened nobody wants to go there anymore unless you're in a packer group you know a bunch of people and which is a wise thing anyway yeah well yeah it is but you you know you should be able to get out of your car and use a restroom and get back in your car yeah so, yeah yeah but... yeah nobody's peeking yeah. <laughs> nobody's peeking uh I, I i went through uh the stake and pains of of creating the list of what I believe attributes to missing persons. And, and I can't be 100% accurate. It's just, it's me and my experience, you know, my, my personal experiences and stuff. And one of the things that I listed was top of the list, murder, homicide, foul play, um, voluntary missing, you know, people want to go off the grid for whatever reason. Uh, number two, uh, predator, like you say, wild animal, whatever, whatever. Number three, uh, their physical health, uh, whatever condition they are. Some people don't think about that stuff before they get themselves in the woods and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I might be missing a, a human trafficking. And uh, of course, Bigfoot Sasquatches. I mean, I'm not, I'm not holding any... Uh, anything back when I, when I say that, and I mean what I say. Um, but I also <clears throat> indicate other unworldly beings, uh, these things, uh, underground, everybody knows they're there. Uh, right now, currently there's a war going on, subterranean war going on. And uh, whatever's down there is coming up and people see it. People uh, put videos up on it. They, they show these things. They talk about these things. And these things, for the most part, are, are things that Hollywood wanted to tell us was just fiction, just just enjoyment, entertainment and stuff. But I'm, you know, I'm a little more critical, a little more skeptical of that kind of stuff, because, you know, from the earliest days, Hollywood was run by overseers and i'm talking about people standing over someone's shoulder telling them uh, uh don't put that in there or yes put that in there 
So you have to wonder where does Hollywood get their ideas, where their thoughts come from? It's from the experts. It's, it's from reality. It's from, from real things that, that they know about. And um, so I put all that stuff together and that's my, that's my thought on missing, missing people. Now I'm going to tell you something about cars and automobiles because that's always been fascinating to me. One of the things that I look at it are confluences and connections and I look for patterns. And <clears throat> when I see these, these reports, especially when someone comes up missing, I like to, again, I, I refer back to what my previous work, my Facebook group site. Um, I document a lot of stuff, but I talked about how, um, at one point I talked about how when I was in the military and I, and I served two tours in the military, one of them was um, uh, combat infantry. Second one was uh, military police investigator. But in any event, uh, map reading and navigation, land navigation was very, very important, very critical, very, very good, critical. And for a young kid like myself, for the first time looking at a, a topo map, a topo map, a topological map, it, you know, it's, it's alien to me. I've never mm -hmm. seen anything like this. But to take a, take a compass, as you say, lay it on that, that map and orient it to, to north, south, east, and west, and, try, and learn to triangulate um, un, three, uh, three unknown points to figure out where you're at, that's, that's the mastery of, of learning the compass. The compass is a very, very important instrument. But... Uh, the point that I'm getting at is there's a report out of Canada where, uh, and, I, and I think I've said this before, there was, there was, a, rest, there was a rest area off the uh, highway, much like we see in the interstate freeways, and uh, there was a car blocking the, the uh, ingress coming off the, off the freeway into this rest area. Lights on, door open, nobody around. Uh, truck driver came out of the bathroom, seen a young mother and, and the baby and the child, sat down and started talking to the lady and, and says, hey, what's the deal with that car there blocking the uh, entrance? Well, I don't know, they said. They said that these two witnesses claim they looked across, something got their attention, they looked across the, the, uh, the double lanes they seen a uh, Sasquatch figure look like it was carrying a man with, with shoes on. They could see shoes. They could see legs and pants carrying a man up a hill. Mm. And they both got in their vehicles. They didn't say anything about calling police or anything. They just wanted to get, leave out of there and get out of there and leave. I see this quite a bit in the missing people where, where, uh, where, uh, in, in, even if it's not missing people, it's just reports where, where Sasquatch is a master, a mechanical master at unlocking doors. Mm. I mean, we don't, we don't think about that, but uh, one man was saying that, yeah, uh, uh, I got out of the car. I went out to the car. The car door was locked. I went out to the car to get some diapers and come back in the house. I turn around. There's a Sasquatch standing behind me, and he got into my car. He opened up my locked door and got in my car. Another one says uh, my doors are locked on my house, and, and that thing 
was able to defeat the locking mechanism. One of the things that I did in the police department was, was uh, crime prevention. And I know they sent me up to Detroit police to learn crime uh, prevention skills and stuff. And some of those, some of those topic areas that, uh, that we learned were locking mechanisms. You know, really it's, it's a skill to learn this stuff. I'm not, I'm not mechanically inclined like that, but to understand that, that there's a device, an instrument that, that it, it's so intricate that you really have to study that stuff to understand and, and know how to defeat those things. Mm -hmm. And to think that, that uh, a beam like a Sasquatch can defeat the mechanisms. Some of these mechanisms is just, <clears throat> we just don't know Kathy. We just okay. don't know. That doesn't make me very happy to hear, hear that. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's just an unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So um, what is, uh, what are some of the native groups that you spoke to where you collected this information and you researched? Is there a variety of them? I, I think your book listed uh, 45 or something. Yeah, or... about 45 tribes or so. Oh, there's more than that. I can't. Mm -hmm. I'll have to think. I can't think of it at the at the this moment. But it, I think the most useful thing is in the back is an appendix of all the the tribal names for Bigfoot that I could come up could find, and then what the meaning of the word is, and um, based on like a, the Yoke of the Miwok who are living this county have all kinds of names for Bigfoot. And in particular, um, if they were a bad Bigfoot, they had a name for him. And so Yaya Ali's a good Bigfoot. He's your friendly, he's not going to hurt you kind of Bigfoot. But they have another name for a Bigfoot that is, as they call a jerk, you know, the, the, the jerk Bigfoot has a name. And so, um, but it's for all the ones that I can find in uh, North America. So I think that's very valuable and heavily researched. I did a lot of work on that. Mm -hmm. So what I want to know is, is how do you determine good from bad? Um, if, you look, if you look at one, how do you tell? Is there, you know, yeah, they, is there they, well, I had something very interesting happen to me like a couple of years ago. One of the other, one of the tribes I work with is the Washoe. Mm -hmm. And just randomly, um, one of the guys that I work with um, from that tribe called me up and he said, I just want to let you know that you've got three Bigfoots on your side of the mountain because I'm in the Sierra Nevada mountains and told me a couple of things. And he said, and the one that's in Calaveras County is, and he used an expletive of, he's bad. He's a very bad Bigfoot. And then he just hung up. And I thought, well, first of all, I didn't even write it down because it happened so fast and unexpected that I didn't write down in any of the names, you know, for it because it caught, caught me off guard. And the funny part, not funny, but the tribe in Calaveras always talks about this bad Bigfoot that they have in their county and that he causes trouble. And he's, he's the one that's, um, you know, um, going to take all your apples off your apple tree. He's the one that's going to mess with stuff and and you know do bad things and so i just happened to think that was funny because it's two different tribes telling me the same thing about a mm -hmm. bigfoot in calaveras county and interesting enough we don't get a lot of bigfoot um, sightings out of calaveras county and it's really a rugged 
rugged terrain in there. And so I think that's probably what's going on is that the, the nice flat grounds already occupied by us humans. And so they're sticking to the canyons and the rough ground that we don't typically um, hang around in. Cause it's just, I mean, it's steep, steep, steep ground. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how you tell the difference. I guess it's your first uh, encounter will tell you one way or the other, right? I guess you're going to walk away from it or you're not. Did you ever notice that, that a lot of people will uh, say that Bigfoots just want to be left alone? Oh, and yeah. Yet, and yet they spend an awful lot of time getting in your business, you know, peeping in your window. Yeah, I think uh, those, are, those tend to be the younger ones. Mm -hmm. I think we're very interesting to the young ones and not so much to the older ones because they know mm -hmm. what we are. And unless, you know, we, we have something they need or want, I don't think they want anything to do with this. But I think to the the younger, and I can't define younger for you, mm -hmm. um, I think we're entertaining. Mm -hmm. I think we're interesting to watch and we have some interesting things. And I mean, I know that if I was, you know, it, it would depend on how much I view you as a threat. If I know that I'm bigger than you, even as a small one, stronger than you, because they, mm -hmm. they're just nothing but muscle, um, I think I would be inclined to maybe try to peek in your window and see what are you doing in that funny looking box that can't get any air and really looks pretty miserable to somebody who has the entire forest to themselves. So, you know, they also don't think they're going to get caught. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that they see a lot better at, at night than we do. And I think that's an advantage for them. And I think they know that's an advantage for them. And so I think that they're willing, younger ones anyway, willing to do a little bit more with the belief that they're not going to be caught doing it. Mm -hmm. I, you know what, Kathy, I tend to agree with that. And um, there's, there's, um, reports out of out of Michigan again I'm from Michigan so so I look at this a little harder a little closer <coughs> but um, it seems like it seems like a lot of the angst and a lot of the annoyance comes from what we would consider juveniles uh, the seven footers that that aren't quite adults yet they're still finding their way and and they act a lot like what we would consider delinquents mm -hmm. and especially if they don't have any um um elder um alphas around them to to guide them and to show them you know you don't pastor these people you know yeah. we don't want to have to pick up and move here don't don't bother yeah. them and, and we don't know because we don't know what their structure family structure is we don't mm -hmm. know that it's one dominant male that has a harem of females and the um all the young ones live with them until the males become unruly and they got to kick them out because mm -hmm. you know they got to go find a new mate we don't we don't know you mm -hmm. know we don't know what that living structure is but it wouldn't i mean i wouldn't think it'd be too far off of other primates that have the male doesn't necessarily stick around all the time he's off doing his own thing until such time as he needs to come back and uh, recognize somebody's commenting about my do. I can't do it. <laughs> They're very observant. Can you tell? Yes, I know. Geez. Um, but, um, 
you know, so, but we don't know. But yeah, I, I tend to think that it's the, the, the ones that haven't, they're, they're tall, they're big, but their brain isn't the same age as it's their body appears. Yeah, it's not developed and it's not mature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the report, one of the reports that, that's, that stays in my mind when I, when I talk about this is a case where uh, a homeowner has had um, numerous reports of, of Bigfoot encounters and stuff. And one of them in particular um, liked to wait till three o'clock in the morning to scream. Oh, and nice. Tear, tear up the trees and then throw them in his manicured lawn. One night he said he was, he says, you know, I work late. I come home late. I just want to go outside to have a cigar and, and just chill mm -hmm. before I go to bed. One night he says, I got up, I turned the floodlights on and I screamed. I picked up the tree thrown on my lawn, threw it back in the woods, and I screamed. He says, I screamed so everybody can hear me around here. And he says, I told I told that thing out there, if you don't stop, those lights are going to stay on all night. And, it, and they're going to come on every, every night until you stop acting like this. He says, Lance told me that that when he, when, when he, screamed and yelled like that he said he heard this huge mass massive guttural roar mm. like he says he got the impression it was an alpha male telling this youngster shut your mouth and go to bed or whatever you do but leave that man alone he says val everything was quiet after that everything i never had another problem with it not after that so i have to believe i have to believe that that um and i've been told this before that bigfoot sasquatches are are um, some of them are residents some of them stay in an area they're very very comfortable like like the like the idyllic uh um creatures of habit a lot of them will come back and, and return to places they've been that they're familiar with which may explain why some of these have shown up in inner cities because you know, decades ago, a lot of these these suburbs weren't there. You know, it was undeveloped land. So, um, in a case in a case where uh, these things have been uh, inhabiting an area, they might be residents, and and they've learned to coexist and get along and stay out of sight and not be a nuisance. Therefore, the residents are fully aware of their presence, but they don't bother each other. It's live and let live. And they don't want to have to pack up and leave. You know, they're, they've, they're safe there. They raise their young there. And if, and if a juvenile comes along, a delinquent comes along and decides he's going to become a nuisance, that's bad for everybody. Yeah. And, and not only that, Kathy, I see this time and time again in those missing books when when somebody goes missing and in in a lot of those books again i'm looking for confluence i'm looking for connections i'm looking for patterns a lot of those books i've noticed that not all of them but a lot of them uh recount these incidents where where these people go missing and it depended upon the response that that uh people show 
human beings, people show in looking for this person. And a lot of times it determines whether or not that individual is going to come uh, just I don't know where I don't know where I've been. You know, all of a sudden I'm here. The little boy is here. The little girl's there. Uh, a lot of times this happens over and over again. And so for that reason, I think a lot of this has to do with with that. If there's if there's a a clan, a responsible member of the clan that says, hey, look, uh, it's not good for us. When you take when you take that that person, it's not good for us because it brings all that heat in on us and we have to move. We can't stay here like this. So you're going to stop. Go take that child back over there and leave him where he could be found. So this happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And David Pallades doesn't pay me any money to, to figure these things out, but I'm just telling you that I, you know, read and analyze and study and this stuff. This is what I see. And it happens all the time. So what do you think about that, Kathy? Well, I mean, I definitely have heard of stories. I mean, I, there are Native American stories of baby or child Bigfoots playing with human ch children and mm -hmm. getting along just fine. And, the, you know, the mom, the Bigfoot mom would come and get the kid and say, no, you know, don't do that kind of thing because um, you, you don't want to be interacting with humans. And I had a Native woman tell me, when she was younger, her mom told her specifically, don't go with those people over there. You see those Bigfoot because they're not like us. They may look like us, but they're not us. They don't have the same songs or the same dances that we have. So don't don't be tempted, but they're going to want you to come with them, but don't go. And so if that's Native people, if they believe that that can happen, then then I'm very open to that, that that's something that at least occurred in the past. I don't know, can't tell you if it's still occurring or not. I mean, I, I don't personally know, but I know that there was a young boy that went missing in Arkansas a couple of years ago, and he said that a bear kept him warm. Mm -hmm. We know, that, well, no bear's going to do that. No, so. no. Was that Arkansas or North Carolina? I don't, it's somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember uh, something like that. And, and again, uh, one of the things that I've noticed is is that law enforcement, in particular, has used and has used the term bear in place of Bigfoot, Sasquatch a lot, and rightly so because uh, you know as well as a lot of us know that that uh, people from the earliest time used to refer to them, including the Native Indians, used to refer to them as bear people. You know, it's bare. So now it just it just so happens that it's uh, it's a coincidence and it's useful. It's a useful term. Well, so. I mean, I, I've never heard of the term bear people before, but mm -hmm. um, but I do know that a bear is not going to take a child and keep no, it warm. For no. the night. It's just not going to happen. So. No, there's there's two reports out of Oklahoma where uh, a, a native uh, lady, native American lady living on a reservation experienced. Um, a Sasquatch tr trying to steal her child out of out of the tent. She mm -hmm. caught him, and uh, she she took it upon herself to to talk to another lady, unrelated, and and advise her, warn her, keep an eye on your baby because you know I was at this 
at this area here, and this is what happened to me. And sure enough, the second report out of Oklahoma, the mother says that at night, she says, I seen a, an arm reaching in, into the tent, and it was trying to pull that sleeping bag with my baby in it out okay. of the tent. Yes. Now, um, the lady, the second report says that, you know, um, it's been told to her as she as she repeats the story. She says she claims that it's been told to her by native Indians that Sasquatch do this when their baby dies mm -hmm. and they and they look for a way to replace that baby. Yes. And, and I, yeah, I've heard that many times. In fact, that's one of the tools we used to use but don't use it anymore was a crying baby tape mm -hmm. where you just it just cries and cries and cries and cries to try to see if that would lure anybody in it never worked for anything but yeah i've heard that many times that it's a replacement baby because they lost theirs and um that wasn't for food that was for raising it as their own yes yes and so does that explain why we see reports of blonde hair, blue-eyed Sasquatches today? No, I, I think that's just a natural diversity in a population. You know, mm -hmm. I think human population, we're all homo sapien sapien. That's our species. And mm -hmm. yet we are very diverse in our skin color, our hair color, our eye color, um, facial features. And I think that's just what you see in a breeding Group. I do not believe it would be possible for a Sasquatch to mate with a human and, and it have a viable offspring. Mm -hmm. Just not closely enough related to each other to, to be able to accomplish that. Kathy, have you ever heard of the Miller documents? No. Never, never heard it. That's been out a couple of years. Supposedly, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot of this because I don't have the document in front of me. But supposedly, this this mysterious figure, H. A. Miller, Doctor M. D. Ph. D., um, trained at uh, one of the Ivy League schools, Yale, I think, in particular, um, uh, gets involved with uh, one of these government agencies, and um, he's recruited by forestry or agricultural or something but in any event he's he's made a name for himself over the years in uh, studying primates and this this uh, document I, the way I interpret it the way I see it was it was a uh, like a like a confession you know be, to be found and read by his his uh, progeny after you know, upon death and stuff. I don't think mm -hmm. it was something that was supposed to be found and read and and placed all over the place, you know, while he was alive and stuff. But in any event, he claims that um, his first uh, encounter with a with a Sasquatch Bigfoot was down in Texas. And, and during the mid 60s, during the mix, mid to early 60s, uh, there was a rampaging, rampaging uh, Bigfoot that, that killed uh, a number of people. And um, 
it seems to me that I remember Lauren Coleman writing about this. And he mentioned that in one of his books. And uh, there was another article, like a follow-up that I read, a report. And I think it was even mentioned in the Miller document that two soldiers in California were talking amongst themselves. Somebody heard it. And what they were talking about was the same thing that I'm just talking about that happened in Texas. And this uh, mysterious man, by the way, you couldn't look him up. You couldn't look him up because he doesn't exist. He doesn't exist on paper. He doesn't exist in a yearbook, which to me, all these little telltale signs and stuff tell me that uh, uh, you're not supposed to know who he is. You know, he was incognito. Likely because of the work that he was doing. And, and in any event, the next occasion that he has to work with Sasquatch, uh, Sasquatches was up in the Pacific Northwest. I think it was California. In this case, um, he mentions in that paper, in that document, that uh, there was a violent uh, Columbus Day storm uh, where lightning struck a tree, fell and, and killed a uh, Sasquatch. And so he was sent up there to, to examine this, this specimen. And he gave a name to it that, that I wouldn't recognize. And I don't even, I'm not even going to attempt to, to uh, try to call it what he called it. But in any event, in both times, in both terms, whether it was in Texas, or the Pacific Northwest, the Pacific uh, Sasquatch, he gave the term uh, Celebidae Norteños, and then in the Pacific Northwest, it was the Celebidae Pacific Northwest, which he delineated the two different areas and stuff, but he also made the case where they were similar in stature and physique. And so he goes on to talk about, in this document, he goes on to talk about how um, in this particular year, the government was supposed to designate vast, vast new areas off limits to public and that uh, it was supposed to be used for wildlife or whatever, whatever. And um, the last paragraph in this document, as a caveat, he says this. He says, um, the celebidae, the, the Bigfoot Sasquatches, are very, very loyal to their own. And they have a voracious appetite. And if something happens to the, to the uh, resources, deer, elk, whatever, um, they won't coexist with human beings. They can never coexist with human beings because they're very opportunistic and, and they're, they're very, voracious when it comes to when it comes to food and it comes to resources and their own kind that's well, basically that's, what yeah that, that's not something i would believe to be true because mm -hmm. if that was true we'd still be seeing that and we don't have populations of deer or elk being wiped out and so i don't i think that's probably a fictional <clears throat> 
uh, document that was written to have that effect, but I don't, we don't, we just don't see that. In the Forest Service, I work with wildlife biology, I work with aquatics, I work with all kinds of different resources, and we'd see something like that because we know there's Bigfoot in this county, and plus mm -hmm. the Native Americans have never said that about Bigfoot, that he's mm -hmm. ferocious and eats everything in sight. You know, that's more of a monster type legendary status kind of thing, so mm -hmm. I don't put any stock in that. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything, Chris? Yeah, so Old Bear wants to know, how does he get in touch with you? He likes to carry on more conversations and hear more thoughts and your beliefs on Bigfoot. Uh, he's a big follower, and he has a lot of experience with Bigfoot, uh, and I can tell you that much, yes. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. Um, that's the quickest way um, because uh, the NAWAC um, – I mean, they can get messages, but our form is internal uh, for us. And so that's just the easiest way is Facebook. So what are some of the, the kinder, gentler uh, stories that you came upon that you placed in your book, Kathy? Oh, there's quite a few. I mean, um, the, like I said, for the, the Tule River who have the pictograph, he's um, creator of them. Um, help create him with the other animals. And he's so important to them that when an elder dies, he has to come to take the elder to the other side. And it's really interesting that I've had several times now interviewed a Native American on the, on the reservation who's had a Bigfoot sighting the day of an elder funeral. And so it's just a little interesting for me, but there's, there's, you know, there's always a mix of everything in a real population you're going to expect different behaviors from that population. You're going to have the, the hoodlums, you're going to have the troublemakers, you're going to have the mean bully kind of, of person or Bigfoot, and you're going to have a kind Bigfoot. I mean, that's just the way a real living population um, works. And so that's, that's what I see in the diversity of the stories as well. And so for me, that's a clue um, that these are real stories because it shows what you would expect a, a living population to have. Mm -hmm. So what, what is the greatest number of uh, multiple Sasquatches in a group that you've came upon in your oh, studies um, and experience? When I saw, had my setting, there was two of them. Um, and it seems like, I think I've heard of three at a, at a time before, but not much bigger than that. I think there was four in the famous one up in Mount St. Helens where the Bigfoot was digging in the ground and flipping rocks over looking for bugs. And I think there was a, two big ones and two little ones in that one. But there's rarely, you know, great amounts um, of them at one, in one place at one time. That you found. That, you that I have found. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the database that I keep, it's, it's quite extraordinary because that's one of the data points that I, that I look for mm -hmm. multiple, I classify them as multiple animals, but, um, the majority of them are pairs mm -hmm. two and three. Uh, and then it, and then it graduates up to, uh, 10, 15. Um, oh, there's, wow. there's a report of Pacific Northwest where uh, a father and son <clears throat> moving to, I want to say, I don't have the report in front of me. It's been a long time, but it seems to me that they were 
and I drove the, the Cascade Mountains before in the wintertime. Oh, ooh, that's treacherous. Dark and treacherous. Uh, so there they are driving. I want to say to Wyoming, they're going to move there or something. And they happen to see a, a pull-off. And uh, it seems to me that there was a group of 10 of them. And it made them, they, they appeared aggressive to them. And it, you know, they really wanted to stop and rest a little bit, go to the bathroom, but they had to, they had to pull away there from that area quick because they appeared aggressive. And there was a lot of them in that, in that particular group. Um, there's another, there's another uh, case out of, um, I want to, I want to say the Pacific Northwest where, um, the man's claims that there was a group of 15 or 20 of them. And uh, this camera keeps going off. We'll turn it back on. And he says that uh, there was, it was like a, uh, it was like a meeting or something. And the, the, the gray, the large gray uh, Bigfoot was carrying what looked like a large piece of lumber, like a staff. So he deduced that that was the leader of this of this group and stuff. But there were a lot of them together. In my particular experience, and the only encounter I've ever had, again in Michigan, um, there were two two of these beings in trees. One in particular that I took a, a snapshot of, and I placed that on the uh, Bigfoot forums years ago. And um, somebody got a hold of this photo in, in uh, the UK and sent it back to me with circles around, with the picture magnifying, magnified, with circles around at least four other individuals on the ground, you know, cr in crouching positions and, and laying on the ground watching us. But, you know, I, wa I wanna say that that was a, a harrowing experience mm -hmm. one that i i've never uh encountered before like that and and uh, certainly something i wanted to get away from i knew we you know i was armed i was i was certainly armed and i'm certain that uh, the thing seen <clears throat> my weapon but you know it it never it never made any hostile gestures or showed any outward signs of uh, of uh, aggression but i know that i wasn't wanted there we weren't myself and my partner we weren't wanted there that we had to leave and i wanted to leave mm -hmm. and uh that's that's my only experience and i'm glad that uh you know we didn't encounter any uh aggression out of that group but there was there were six. There was a blonde, a blonde-haired uh, being up in the tree next to the one that I seen that I took a picture of, and um, it was completely blonde, blonde-haired, and um, the one that I seen was was red-haired, mm -hmm. and the face had very very little facial hair on it, but the thing was 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 so tall 
it's impossible for a human being to to wear a ghillie suit and and um, and have all that hair on, you know, in the middle of Michigan summer, you know, plus humidity and stuff. It's just just very interesting. But I'll tell you something. One thing that I noticed about Sasquatch sightings, uh, Kathy, I don't know that if you ever came across this, is that when people uh, happen into Bigfoot Sasquatches like this, there seems to be hordes and hordes of, of flies and insects, mosquitoes, that seem to always follow these things, like like bears, like like stinking bears. You know, people can smell beer for from from a long distance because of the the odor. But it seemed like other people have reported this too. Just hordes of, of insects. Hmm. It, it was crazy, ridiculous. Yeah, I've never heard that before. Yeah. I've yeah. never had anybody mention that. So yeah. and I've seen plenty of bear that certainly didn't have any smell or or mm -hmm. flies or anything with them. I think it may be that individual some animals are cleaner than others you know mm -hmm. just like some humans are cleaner than others mm -hmm. for a lot of uh, people they consider uh, measuring a bigfoot researcher by the by the dirt underneath their fingernails <laughs> yeah dirt underneath <laughs> your fingernails no i don't wrong. yeah yeah you're, uh, not, you're doing something weird yeah uh uh, yeah, this person's a good Bigfoot researcher. Why? Well, look at his fingernails. Uh, you know, they're all caked with uh, gunk and stuff. No, I don't think so. Sorry, I don't buy that. Um, but yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming on. And, um, you know, it's been a long, long time since I talked to Harry Man. You know. <clears throat> I didn't there's, even know a, there's a quick question for you, if you don't mind, just uh, just to touch on it. You know, sure. what's your thoughts about the gnome study, about the results of the DNA? The gnome or the genome? Genome, genome. Okay. sorry. So say, if we're going to start talking about gnomes, it's time for me yeah, to do yeah, yeah, We do talk about gnomes on other shows. <laughs> not, not for me. Um, the one, uh, Melba Ketchum, is that? Yes, yes. Um. I, the first study had so many flaws, scientific flaws in them uh, that I don't have any faith in the results at all. It was very poorly done scientifically. Um, she's working on Dogman, I think now, um, but I have still yet to figure out what the difference between a Dogman and a Bigfoot is, but we don't need to go into that. But I, yeah, I, I'm a scientist by trade and I can read a study and see what the science is and that science was flawed. And so um, if you have flawed data going in, you're going to have flawed data coming out. And so um, that's about what I can say about that. Right. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Kathy, is there is there is there room in the, the Bigfoot world for citizen scientists? Well, of course. Of course. You just make sure what you do is scientific in the sense of you know, if you take a picture of a footprint, make sure there's a ruler next to it. Keep a journal where you write down days and times of what you experienced because, you know, you're, you think your memory is good, but it's really not as good as you think it is. So write it down. You, you don't have to, doesn't have to be a novel. It just has to be 1201 Rock Throne. 
1202 heard I how, you know, that kind of stuff so that you can keep track of what's going on. And, and for those people who believe that they're finding structures, um, do a little more research. Was there a Boy Scout uh, camp jubilee that weekend or two weekends before? Put a marker on it so you know you've seen this one already. So for a while we had a Bigfoot that was uh, breaking trees, you know, doing the twists and pulling him down. And I marked it every time I found one, I marked it with one of my markers so that I knew I already saw this one. That This isn't a brand new one. This is this one that I saw on this day. And I'd write it down. And as an archaeologist, I just made maps, you know, because um, that's what I do. I use, you know, GPS. Um, things like that. Just, you know, be thoughtful. You know, if you think you have a hair, a Bigfoot hair, don't lick it. I don't know why you would, but use gloves to pick it out and don't put it in plastic. Put it in a paper envelope. Plastic eats DNA. And so just just those types of things. So I think anybody can be a scientist, a citizen scientist. You just, you know, use some basic common rules. You know, have a camera, have a ruler, a measuring tape, those basics that you need to keep with you when you're when you're out purposefully bigfooting. If you're not if you're just going on a family stroll, you know, be a family first. Makes yeah, sense those, to me. Yeah, those are some good points. Um, you know, when you're talking about when you're talking about uh, collecting evidence and stuff, yeah, the plastic sweats. Yeah, and and it causes moisture and stuff. So you want you want the stuff to to air dry if if, if yeah. it's needed be. But uh, getting back to tree twists, uh, what do you? What do you believe the the motive, the cause of tree twists are? I think they're territorial. That one male is in an area, and he thinks another male's in the area, and he's pulling down the tree to to indicate his strength and his height. Mm -hmm. And we actually almost caught a bigfoot doing it. We had just been past this area, and we started back, and there were no tree bakes, and this one tree just had had it happen broad daylight, no weather whatsoever. And it was still doing that, you know, that bounce where it's mm -hmm. trying to straighten itself up. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and where it was bent, you know, it was clear that whoever was doing it was, wasn't as tall as that they had reached up and pulled it down to their, their area, twisted it, and then let, was letting it bounce back up. So. Wow. That's, they, that's they very cheat. interesting. They, they what? They cheat. They cheat. <coughs> I'm eight foot tall. No, you're not. You're five foot two, dude. Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna look like I'm eight foot tall. Mm -hmm. So inverted trees. Have you ever seen any inverted trees? No. None at all. No. So it wouldn't be fair to ask. What no, about crossed uh, X's, X's in in well, uh, stick formations? Yeah, I've never seen anything that I thought was uh, placed by anybody. I've seen them natural from wind. Mm -hmm. You know, dead things die and they fall, and they fall in strange patterns naturally. Mm -hmm. oh. There we go again. Gremlin. Yeah. A gremlin. So, uh, so you're saying a lot of stick formations and stuff are are uh, manipulated, man-made. No, I think a lot of I don't. Well, I have seen. Uh, uh, I guess a stick structure is the best I could put it was a nest 
And I know it was made by somebody because the end of the tree was being held down by a rock that came from from a location because I could find the location where the rock came from. Mm-hmm. Who made it? I you know I don't know. The inside was padded with moss and ferns, but I excavated the entire thing and I didn't even get a hair out of it. I got nothing. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I interrupted who was going to use it. If it was just board kids that made it, I mean, I don't know. So the Native Americans don't talk about um, Bigfoot's making structures like that, but maybe they didn't never witnessed it or wasn't important to pass on. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know. So I think a lot of things that people call X's or stuff like that is likely natural. Mm-hmm. So do you, th- have you heard of a, uh, a lot of forestry people uh, commenting or making reports of um, when, Sasquatch encounters? Yeah, when the the tree breaks were happening around here, I took our uh, forestry people out there to tell me what it was, and they were they had no explanation. They said that it could not have been co- created by weather. Mm-hmm. So, and then they stopped. So no natural cause. No natural cause whatsoever for them. Mm-hmm. That it had to be done by essentially they they thought it was human, but they couldn't figure out why or how a human would do it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. What about tree ornaments and um, um, what I mean by tree ornaments are um, animals and rocks and other crazy things. Purportedly. Do, do, do they put rocks in trees? Different items, yeah. Oh, yeah. Animate and inanimate objects. Why would they do that other than to look at? Um, well, I actually had that happen when we were, I was in the field with a tribe and the tribal around these parts, you just leave your keys on your on your uh, windshield. So mm-hmm. somebody's going to take your car, just unlock it and get what you want, but don't smash my windows. Mm-hmm. And we walked around a meadow. We were never really all that far from the cars, but had our backs turned and stuff like that. And when we got back to um, uh, the car, one of the elders' keys were missing. And so we looked around and looked around and looked around. And we finally found them in the nook of the the tree that was right in front of his car. Mm -hmm. And he was really mad. He said, damn you, Yaya Lee. And he blamed it on Bigfoot and that he said that's what they like to do it's a form of teasing i guess mm-hmm. and so um he was mad about it but all the rest of us were kind of like well god didn't happen to us because we didn't want to have anything to do with that so anyway but i i he they just said it was you know just a prank or mm-hmm. you know a tease something that was meant to be playful not not vindictive now uh somewhere in in the database and incidentally, I have uh, I created four databases, one Michigan, the second one is a uh, U.S. North America database. The third one is is more or less a reference book with different adaptations of of um, the more interesting topics and stuff. And um, one of them is is items found in trees. And I noted in a um, in a thread that I wrote, um, tree ornaments. A lot of a lot of these things, a lot of these things are placed in in places where 
they can be seen and as a as a uh, boastful thing this is what i do this is what i can do if you want some right here's my business card look me up uh, i i've got reports of uh, bulls in trees horses in trees uh, oh wait a minute horse, horse the entire yes. horse yes, yes. alive <clears throat> no they're dead broken oh. back broken necks broken backs oh. dogs uh people, uh, tents, bicycles, uh, tires. You know, if you take a full tire, fully inflated tire, and this is something I learned on the job, and, and this is something that I was trained to do uh, in law enforcement as a matter of exigent circumstances for water safety, uh, something I didn't know before I went into this, but you take a full a full-size car, fully inflated tire, and try to lift it up. I mean, I'm not a skinny guy, but I have difficulty lifting it, lifting that thing straight out in front of me. But that tire can hold a float. It can hold up to 15 men, full-grown men in the water, keep them buoyant. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the instruments that they use in a, in a case where a car is submerged or something. But the point I'm making is, is that you see some of these tires up in that tree. Uh, you see clothes up in trees, people looking for their shoes, uh, backpacks, missing backpacks and stuff. They, they find them up there in the trees. Uh, animals, headless animals, uh, all of these interesting little tidbits and stuff. So um, from what I see, whether they're animate or inanimate objects, they're posted there most of the time to see. I mean, if I if I do a good job, if I and I want to brag about it, I want to put it out there for people to see. Or if I don't want people in my area, I'm going to put this stuff up on a tree. This is what I can do. Show me what you can do. I think that's more of a not for humans, but maybe for other Bigfoots to see. I, I think, yes, I That's agree. an internal, com, internal com, uh, communication method, not, mm -hmm. not for us. Cause I don't mm -hmm. think they do anything in particular for us, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, but that's, I think saying to another Bigfoot, and it's probably two dominant males and that, cause they're not, or it, it's also possible as for a female and they're trying to impress. I mean, mm -hmm. we don't know. Well, I'll tell you what, if I see stuff like that up in a tree, it would impress me. It and, then, probably, and a horse in a tree would impress me, yes. Yes. And and um, a lot of these a lot of these troll people will come on there and see that stuff, and they'll put up their uh, big cats do this. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I've never seen a big cat pick up a boulder and put it in the, in the uh, fork of a tree. Never. Yeah, no, they can't. And I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. No. But the, the fact that um, that you got a horse with a broken back up in a tree, something happened to that horse. Well, so, and, and a horse, horse's back. even a, a regularly sized cats don't typically attack horses. That's not the size no. prey they're looking for. No. So for that one, that's either human caused or it's Bigfoot caused. There's only two mm -hmm. options. Mm -hmm. It's very unusual. I like the way you deduce things, mm -hmm. <laughs> Kathy, reasonably. 
Well, I have a lot of experience with, with animals in the woods because I've been an archaeologist in the woods for 35 years. And so mm -hmm. you see all kinds of crazy stuff and you see a lot of stuff that scares you. But, you know, it's I know what certain animals are capable of doing. They're not going to take on a horse because mm -hmm. you get the stomped, you know, and so they're not stupid animals. And so they, you take what you think you can take on, not something that's going to get you killed in, in reverse. Mm -hmm. How do you think uh, Bigfoots and bears coexist? I think they coexist just fine apart from each other. I don't. I, I know I've heard of, of grizzly and Bigfoot fights before. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think um, I've ever heard of a black bear that we hear, have here in California battle before. But I think a smart bear would just mm -hmm. stay away because I don't think they can win that battle. They no. may have teeth and claws, but Bigfoot's got Yeah, it seems like it seems like there was a, a report or two that I've seen where a elder uh, Native Native American again, elder, says that these reports when you see uh, uh, Bigfoot Sasquatch uh, carrying lumber, big lumber, it's usually in areas where grizzly are around. And this is what this is how they deal with the grizzly. They bludgeon them. With, with these logs, you know, that they carry oh, and stuff. from a distance. Yeah. And um, there have been reports of, of Bigfoot and bear tangling. And it, and the bear come out on the, on the wrong side of the, the uh, fight. Yeah. But there's also reports, a lot of reports, that uh, bear have, or Bigfoots have developed a taste for bear meat because um and they and a lot of people believe that the reason why they've developed this taste for bear meat is because bear are the natural predator of their young you know that that are often left in trees and stuff and the bears will eat them and so bigfoot's being vengeful that they are and very loyal and very protective of their of their own uh, they go out and, and track these these bears down, and they'll they'll kill them and eat them. Yeah. Everybody, you know, enjoys the the festival, the bounty of the festival. So, um, it's the whole study, Kathy, is very very interesting, and uh, it's it's beyond me that anybody can think that anybody is an expert in this because w once you think that you know it all and you've seen it all and you read it all. There's something else that pops up. It's just as just as fantastical, amazing, and stuff. It's just unbelievable. The, the topic is wide, wide open. It is. It truly is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been really great having you in here tonight. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank I you for having. Me. And do you want thank to, you do for you being on? Do you want to plug your book? Yes, where, absolutely. Please. Sure, it's a cannibal, uh, Giants, Cannibals, and Monsters, Bigfoot, and Native Culture, and you can find it at Hancock House, who's my publisher. Um, there, like I said, the first edition sold out, and you may be able to find some of those on eBay, but or you can find it uh, at Amazon as well. And it's uh, it's a beautiful book; it truly is. And I and I gotta say, Hancock is not a pushover publisher either. It's yeah. it's one yeah, of the best. It's one of the preeminent publishers out there today. Yes. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a remarkable book, and 
when you open up that book, you know that some time and, and thought has gone into this, those pages. It's just a beautiful book. And I'm so glad, Kathy, I'm so glad to, to, to be able to talk to you again, see you again. It's been a long, long time. Yes, it is. So you tell tell the audience here what Gumshoe, Gumshoe Guy was like when he was on the Bigfoot Forum. Was I a pastor? Was no. I a pastor? No, you were very nice. <laughs> very nice and intelligent. So yeah, so, yeah it's, it's it was it was a good group. I appreciated that. It was actually a springboard to get me into this because I didn't want to get into Facebook. You know, I was I preferred to just stand back in the shadows and just lurk, read, lurk and stuff. But um, it um, I met a lot of good people on the on the Bigfoot forums and stuff, and um, you know I'm every once in a while on Facebook I'll see I'll see a name that I'm familiar with from from the past, and it was just it was just a an honor and and a great thing to be able to chit chat with you once again. And it's, Thank you for having me. Yes. You guys have a good evening. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, you too. Kathy. Take care. Bye bye. Wow, what a show once again. I love it. It was a good show. Yeah. I mean, really interesting. Really, Gris, wasn't Kathy a, a, a super person to chit chat with? Yes, absolutely. And, and I she's enjoyed got, it. And she's got so much knowledge. Her and her husband have been involved in Bigfootery for a long, long time. And I'm going to tell you something their name is well, well known in Bigfootery. A lot of people know those 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 two. A lot of people, good people. Just so now I know what the whistle means. Say, that's and it. people that's and people did know. And I was like, everybody tells me do not go in the woods alone, and I don't anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go out there, go out there and whistle. Now and yell, I'm good. Yell. <laughs> now go out there now. and whistle and, and make a yell. You know. No, not I'm at over all. Here. I'm over here. You want some? Come over here. No, yeah. I'm not doing that stuff. Are you kidding me? Right. I'm not, I'm not, this homie doesn't play that stuff. I don't do that. I'm not going to do that. No, absolutely not. So, mm -hmm. no. And you and you heard it right from her mouth. That's that's what the deal is. Yeah, so, absolutely. So yeah, it's it's that was a good show. I have really really enjoyed that really enjoyed that so i'm gonna try to have um, another former um, bfro guy come in here next week oh if that's gonna be in, interesting if, if he comes in and uh, you know we had carter bouchard in here um what last week or so that was Brian, she that was said if you hear a whistle they're trying to lure you into the woods Yes. I want you to come here. Yeah, come on over here. Up in yes. here. All up in here. Yeah. So yes. Like that forbidden finger, that, that forbidden finger that tells you, come on over here. Mm-hmm. See, I, think, you mean I thought I was crazy. I don't think so. Not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. But so yeah. yeah. So so next week we'll try to get uh, this other guy in chit chat and find out what's going on what his thoughts are and um um yeah we'll see what happens sounds good to me yeah 
It's been a good show, and I appreciate it, Riz. Yeah, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great rest of your Sunday evening, and we'll catch you on next edition. Take hey, how care. Come, how come Kentucky doesn't have a professional football team? Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> well, don't they? Don't they? They don't have a push, uh, professional no, football team. I have they? no idea. Yeah, I always wondered what's the deal with that. You know, who knows? In Louisville, we'll catch you. We'll Louis catch you on the flip city. side. We'll find that All out. All right, my friend. All right. Take we'll care, talk to you ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you, Val. Bye, everybody. Bye bye.